Welcome to New Teacher Talk. My name is Dr. Heather Lyon, and I am an Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum Instruction and Technology in Lewiston-Porter, a school district in Western New York. As well, I am a blogger. You can find me at www.lyonsletters.com. That's lionsletters.com. And I'm the author of two books. The first is Engagement is Not a Unicorn, It's a Narwhal. And the second is The Big Book of Engagement Strategies. Today, I'm going to talk to you about engagement. I would imagine there are some words in every profession that become so overused that they cause people in that profession to roll their eyes. I don't know what those words are in other professions, but I'm going to guess that educators could all agree with me that terms like rigor, fidelity, 21st century skills, and project-based learning were all included in a 2018 Education Week opinion article called Response We Could Live Without These Education Buzzwords would be eye rollers for educators. One of the words that made the list was engagement, and even though I've written two books about engagement, I would agree that engagement is an overused buzzword. My guess is that this term appears in at least 50% of books, articles, or podcasts related to education. More ironically, despite the ubiquity of the word, I feel just as confident that if I asked 10 people to define engagement, I would get 10 different answers. That is a key reason why I wrote my books. I want to know how can we overuse this term regularly and not have agreement about what it is that we're talking about. I'm sure I'm not alone in sharing that there is rarely a day that goes by in my professional life where someone does not use the term engagement. That said, I wonder how you would define it. In other words, how do you know when and if someone is engaged? As I write about in Chapter 1 of Engagement is Not a Unicorn, It's a Narwhal, I went to a regional substitute recruitment fair in a neighboring school district. Hanging in their faculty bathroom was a poster of Philip Schlefty's levels of engagement. While I certainly wasn't there expecting to learn about engagement, let alone to begin a quest to expand my understanding of engagement, that's what happened. Though Schlefty saw five levels of engagement, there appeared to me to be three major categories, noncompliance, compliance, and engagement. Within each of these five levels, Schlechty identifies the parallel threads of attention and commitment with the highest level as, quote unquote, engagement characterized by high attention and high commitment. Though I cannot disagree with this assessment, the more I thought about his work, the more I felt that something was missing. Upon reflection, I realized engagement is nuanced. In other words, it's not an on-off switch. It's a dial. This means there is a continuum of engagement levels. So I created the engagement continuum, which has four levels and goes from left to right with the lowest levels of engagement being non-compliant and then to compliant and then to interested and finally absorbed. While the terms non-compliant and compliant are likely self-evident, for the sake of explanation, here are brief definitions for each marker on the engagement continuum. Non-compliant, meaning actively or passively refusing to do what was expected, being insubordinate. Compliant, meaning doing the minimum of what was expected, but only because there is a consequence, positive or negative, if it wasn't completed. Interested, meaning going beyond the minimum expectations because the task is stimulating and has temporary value. Generally speaking, the task is enjoyable, but not something that would be done unless it was required and there is a consequence for doing it or for not doing it. And finally, absorbed, meaning getting so involved in a challenging task that the person doing it intrinsically wants to continue even if they don't have to. 
It's only when people are interested or absorbed that they are really engaged. Though I was happy to have developed the engagement continuum, this linear representation did not help me understand why someone might be at any specific level or how to help someone make a shift to a higher level of engagement. The ability to help make the shift was very important to me as both an educator and a parent. I wanted to be able to support others who might be at a lower level of engagement so they could shift to a higher level. If there was a way to do that, imagine the possibilities. Here's the good news. There is. I realized that there were variables that caused people to shift engagement levels. In fact, there are three. Variable one is the task. How people feel about what they have to do has a major impact on whether or not they'll be engaged with what they're doing. If they like the task they're doing, they'll be engaged. If they don't like the task, they'll be disengaged. Variable two is the consequence. The term consequence is used in a neutral way here, meaning a consequence can be either positive, like money, candy, or another reward, or negative, like a fine, loss of privileges, or any other punitive outcome. And finally, variable three is the relationship. It can be very difficult for people to engage in a task if the relationship with the person assigning the task is negative. The opposite is also true. It can be easier for people to engage in a task if the relationship with the person assigning the task is positive. This certainly doesn't mean that a positive relationship always leads to engagement and vice versa, but it does mean that relationships between who assigns the task and who does the task impacts engagement. All three of these factors led to the creation of the engagement matrix. Please visit https colon forward slash forward slash c-u-t-t dot l-y forward slash engagement dash matrix capital E capital M to see an image of the engagement matrix. Quite simply, the engagement matrix took the four levels of engagement on the linear engagement continuum and bent them pole to pole to make a two by two matrix. The relationship to the task is the horizontal axis and the relationship to the extrinsic factors, i.e. the person assigning the task and or the consequence for doing the task are on the vertical axis. This means that non-compliant people have a low relationship to the task. They don't like it. And they have a low relationship with the person assigning the task. They don't like them. And finally, they have a low relationship with the consequence for doing the task or not. They don't like the reward and don't care about the punishment. That can often sound like, I don't care about this, I don't care about you, and I don't care about what happens to me if I do or don't do this. On the other hand, compliant people care about the person assigning the task and or the consequence for doing the task. Even so, and this is important, compliant people do not want to do the task any more than the non-compliant person does. This is why these quadrants are on the left side of the engagement matrix. The difference between a compliant person and a non-compliant person is that a compliant person is motivated extrinsically, whereas a non-compliant person is not. Both, however, are disengaged. Interested people are engaged because they enjoy doing the task. However, interested people, like compliant people, are extrinsically motivated. Like compliant people, interested people have a high relationship with the person assigning the task and or the consequence for doing the task. Here, the difference is that compliant people do not like what they're doing, but interested people do. Finally, absorbed people, like interested people, enjoy the task they are doing. Unlike interest, which is extrinsically motivated, absorption is intrinsically motivated. 
absorbed people do not need to have a strong relationship with the person assigning the task or a high value on the consequence for doing the task, since it is likely that absorbed people have either elected to do the task or wanted to do it anyway. If you're wondering how you can create higher levels of engagement, here are three suggestions. One, make the learning authentic by providing a real-world problem or a real audience. It is a lot easier to write a persuasive essay, for example, about a problem you care about versus the same prompt that every other kid in class has. Two, create a safe place to try and fail by highlighting the failures of successful people. That's not hard to do since every successful person has some track record of failure. It's how they learned what didn't work. To do this, you can create Failure Fridays where you highlight that person, or you could, on Failure Fridays, have the students identify something they used to struggle with. This concept of safety is really about creating culture where perfection is not the goal. Learning is. And finally, teach students to create goals so they have investment in the what, the why, and the how of the task, rather than the score they get for doing the task. The goals can be related to what they're learning, but they could also be personal. The point is to shift the focus from completion of the task to valuing the process required during the task. So there it is. We've taken the journey across the engagement continuum from non-compliant all the way through absorbed. If nothing else, I hope you walk away with the belief that there are actions we can take to help others make the journey and that engagement is possible in all classes for all students every day, at least at the interested level. Absorbed? Well, that's another story for another day. In fact, if you're interested in learning more about engagement, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter at Lions Letters, L-Y-O-N-S-L-E-T-T-E-R-S. Visit my website, www.lionsletters.com, where there are oodles of free resources and or to read one or both of my books, Engagement is Not a Unicorn, it's a Narwhal, and The Big Book of Engagement Strategies. Thank you for listening. I hope you become a regular follower of this podcast channel. And remember, as a new teacher, we are here to help you. 